0: History, Lecture 72, Rabbi Flyworth. the uh... It's been seventy, seventy-second second uh, lecture of the year. So... It feels like, it feels like we did more than that now. Okay, fine. Good. History's very full. And you know, for all that we're doing, there's a lot that we're gliding by and skipping and there's uh, the other details to fill in as best we can. We're trying to get the key points. The um, Christians, remember when we last left them, they have been underground, persecuted, massacred, uh, despised sect. Uh, they are in many ways more persecuted than Jews, um, and all that is about to change, um, coming with the with with the revel, the revelation of the Emperor Constantine in the fourth century, um, and one of the remarkable things that requires a little bit of explanation is how do they do it? How do they continually decimated and their numbers reduced and yet they still remain a vibrant minority, um, people convert despite the risks. Aren't they like the largest um, religion though? Not in these days. I mean, not in the days yeah. that we're, not in these, we're, we're in history, Daniel, you forget. We vicariously relive this. So right now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm firmly ensconced in the third, fourth century at, the, at this point. Um, and the, uh. Yeah, today it's true. It's the, it, the, the Muslims are gaining on them quickly, but they are, at least for the time being, the largest religion in the world at approximately 2.2 billion out of 4 billion, out of, me, out of 8 billion or so, or over 8 billion people in the world. Of course, it's pretty easy to be Christian. All you have to do is believe and take in Yashka into your heart, so that's one of the ways to get large numbers when you make it relatively easy to be counted. Um, back in these days, they're small, but people are attracted to them. And the simplest explanation, the analysis, is that don't forget Christianity is based on Judaism, and they take a lot of the attractive ideas, the undeniable truisms of the Torah. They teach it in Yeshua's name, but they do teach it. And given the emptiness of the pagan values, the pagan world where they live there's immense appeal, and what the Christians have done is they've denuded, denuded the Torah of its mitzvos, making the package much more appealing and doable. The average person can just accept it, believe, and uh, doesn't really, doesn't really uh, hurt them so much. So that's one of the attractions, and that's certainly one of the reasons why we find people continually uh, converting despite the many risks. The... Um, we, we uh, mentioned last week that Diocletian had split the empire. The eastern half is Byzantium. The halves are not divided by a clear and border. Byzantium is not, is, is no. The reason I, it's, I can understand why you're associating with that, because we're going to associate Eastern Orthodox Christianity which among its adherents, they count the Greek Orthodox together with the Russian Orthodox and Serbian Orthodox, or the Serbian Orthodox. That's, those are all extensions of the Byzantine version of Christianity, but uh, they're distinct. They're not, not necessarily synonymous. Uh, there is not a clear border. As you remember, under Diocletian, the empires were Divided for for logistic reasons as a way of saving the economy, but they ultimately, both sides had to answer to Diocletian. That would not always be the case, and there's going to be increasing uh, rivalry between the two different halves of the former United Holy Roman Empire. Uh, In the year 306, a fellow by the name of Constantine becomes the deputy in the Western Roman Empire, Later, he becomes the ruler, and he has uh, big ambitions. He wants to rule in the East. The East, even back then, was much more appealing, much more the cusp of of, uh, of advancement, of, uh, of culture, and he is prepared to lead his men on a battle against the eastern half of the empire, and he is aware of Christianity. He, his, um, his mother has become, his mother is a figure by the name of Elena, who I'm going to mention soon enough, uh, but he becomes very enamored of Christianity and Yashka and, its, and the various teachings, but he looks for a sign, as the pagan world was very superstitious, and he said, if I can see somehow the image of a cross, I'll know that uh, Yashka really is the Lord and Christianity is true. And the next morning he wakes up and he looks, one of the first things he looks at is the classic shield of the Holy Roman Empire. Like most shields in the ancient world, it's made of four plated pieces of metal all grafted together. But the cumulative effect when you look at the four pieces of metal is... At each interval, there's a, there's some kind of a seam, and together they look like a cross. So he looks at this whole field of soldiers with their shields and their crosses. Uh, it's it's a Rorschach test. What they think that they see uh, crosses, the uh, shields, but he sees a series of crosses. It's a miracle, uh, and, uh, and 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 he sees this as a clear sign from Jesus that it all you know that that's the way it's supposed to be, and um, he. Uh, attacks the east and he tries to reunify the em- empire and he's successful. Uh, the year is now 3- 312. He, uh, he wins every battle. And finally, the empire is unified. It's temporary. Later on, it's going to split apart for good. And we talked about that, how the, the western side of the Roman Empire will fall apart. That's what we think of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And then the eastern side, Byzantium, endures all the way until fourteen. Fifty-three. Yep. But now that the empire is unified and Constantine is is now installed decisively as the leader, as the ruler, suddenly these people who formerly were these despised, uh, persecuted minorities, these Christians, suddenly have a sympathetic uh, 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 interlocutor, somebody, somebody in the in, in the in the end, in the form of the king himself. And it's it's all turned around now. You have to realize anybody who was openly a Christian in the Roman Empire, Byzantium too, was crucified. That was the law. Wait, but Roman Catholic Church. Not yet. That's what we're working towards. It had not yet come into being. They were still the persecuted, despised sect. But now, increasingly, and it's not overnight. Meaning that, that in three twelve, it's not that suddenly Byzantium becomes a Christian. Uh, empire but by 324 within, within several years Helena the queen mother has, has officially converted Constantine doesn't maybe he can't because he can't maintain a double standard and if you remember the story of um, Munbaz and the smaller empire of um, Khadiv of Adi where he was also his mother converted but he was persuaded his mother was also Helena and he was persuaded not to convert so he didn't to Judaism in that case. Um, but uh, suddenly he is in power and he's able to legalize the religion. That's his first step. Uh, and Christianity becomes, well, how do we describe it accurately? It becomes, I think the best expression is in French, du de gour. It, it's right. Fair, good, good. Well, well, well expressed. It's It's the thing to do, it's the expedient thing to do. If you are a you don't have to be Christian. If you're, if you're a member of the Roman Byzantine Empire, you can remain non-Christian. But now, non-Christians are prohibited from owning slaves. They're also limited in the amount of wealth they can, they can own. Uh, they're not going to get any government appointments. So that effectively, converting to Christianity becomes the logical socioeconomic thing to do. And so people start converting in droves. And you take that with the, uh, you, you, you combine that with the fact that it was, there was an appeal to Christianity. It, it addressed a lot of your deeper life questions and, uh, and, and didn't ask so much from the adherents other than just simple belief. So that package together made, the new, made this religion suddenly spread uh, very, very rapidly and, and, and uh, very, very effectively. In a, uh, now it's not true that byzantium is the first official state of, re- of, of religious christianity that that title would have to fall um uh, not that long earlier around the year 300 in the common empire the first official christian state does that mean you know? armenian armenian christians are are the, armenia becomes the first nation to embrace christianity officially um but Even though that's a precedent, there's nothing like this. Now, the world's largest empire becomes effectively Christian. State and church are combined. And suddenly, for the first time in history, and all of our history is going to be deeply affected by this reality, the people who were formerly oppressed become history's great oppressors. now constantine's mother helena uh, they call her saint helena others call her the mother of modern tourism that's questionable but she had a great khap, she had a great notion she comes to eretz yisrael jesus homeland and she uh has this idea see that if you can walk in the footsteps of the savior then that would be very powerful in inducing a person's imuna, It also might be good for business because if you can arrange pilgrimages, uh, pilgrims spend a lot of money to go on those pilgrimages, on those, on those journeys to Eretz Yisrael. It becomes a mini-industry. Uh, she comes to Palestina and she doesn't find much because where, what has happened in Eretz Yisrael, in Judea, since we last left our heroes, the Jews are underground, the Romans haven't cared. They certainly haven't developed anything there. They have a few military outposts, including in Elia Capitolina. Where is Elia Capitolina? Just across, Just across the. the street, in Jerusalem. Uh, but in Pax Romana, in the Peace of Rome, there's no there's no wall around the city. Uh, there's not much going on. And when Helena comes with her entourage, there's not much for her to see that's identifiably. There's nothing for her to see that's identifiably connected to Yashka. And so she does the, uh, well, for her at least, it's the logical thing, Uh, she has a series of revelations in which somehow Jesus himself comes to her and tells her where everything happened. And she identifies, among other iconic sites, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, she identifies uh, 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 another church up in, um, in Nazareth, uh, name of it, and uh, and and a couple more churches, and of course the, the most famous is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, where according to early Christian tradition, uh, that's where not only yoshka was crucified, but it also was the place where Adam Barisha was buried, and Yoshka was buried too. He, he killed two birds with one stone, as it were. I guess that's uh, using it, making a double entendre out of that. But the uh, but the idea why would have why would it make sense to have Yoshka buried right next to Adam? From their theological standpoint, Adam blew it for all of his descendants, for all of humanity, because he sinned. Therefore, humanity is doomed, and we have no chance of redemption because of his sin. They don't, in a major way, see tshuva, see human individual or collective human tikkun. Our ability to try to fix ourselves and seek our own atonement as so much an option. People are too messed up, too 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 sinful. So the, the hope of humanity, of course, is to believe in Jesus. If you accept Yashka in your soul, then you uh, you know then 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 all will all will be good. And therefore, it makes sense to have Adam, who messed up for humanity, to have the antidote to Adam would be Yashka right next to each other. Anyway, that's what will develop as the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. If that's what they're looking for. Then- why would they choose him? Why would they choose someone like uh, Noah? I mean, the world was destroyed and made anew No, they but Yuska, they, they will, at this point, by the way, at this point, in, in Christian theology was an evolving work. Uh, at this point, Jesus was still related to as a human being. But he was a human being, he was a human being who died for humanity. Noah didn't die for humanity, and his role then in the sweep of history was much more significant. No, he the becomes way. the fall guy for everybody, and if you believe in him, then he takes you and your sins and elevates you. No, I mean, like, they like, talking about, like, like right on, like, the whole basis is about, you know, Adam, Adam, Adam it's, versus Yashka, yeah. Adam yeah. versus Yashka, Wouldn't they? I mean, you're saying why? Why would they choose Noah? I don't know why they no, didn't choose. No, 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 no. I mean, not not they you Noah. Like, if they're trying to explain, oh, this is why Ashka was born, right? Then I mean, why did Hashem destroy the world and make it anew again? With, I mean, as um, me imagining myself as a, as as a 13 year old push Hashem. They no, no, don't That's do this. You're, you're, you're just beginning. It, it's my it's my opinion. If you study the tenets of Christian theology rationally, as you're attempting to do in your question right now, you will never be satisfied. It doesn't add up. And they themselves admit this. I've quoted before, but it's relevant to mention. Around this time, one of the early church fathers is a fellow by the name of Tertullian. Right, exactly. You've heard me say this exactly. So he takes the notion of one of the most impossible notions embedded in Christianity as the Trinity, what they call the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he says it doesn't make sense, and that's why I believe. Even though he never quite said these three words together, but more or less this is the, this is the gist of his idea. "Credo quia absurdum" is the is the notion. So, so don't don't, don't leave my religion alone with your logic. Is their is their point of view? But don't they themselves consider Noach the, the greatest possible? Who? Don't they themselves consider Noach the, the greatest possible? No, Paul was. no. Paul was not Noach. Noach is a figure, not 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 central. So Helena comes and she identifies uh, various sites in and around Eretz Israel. And suddenly Eretz Israel, for hundreds of years, which was seen in the Roman Empire as a backwater, as an an undesirable place, suddenly takes on a brand new religious appeal and will take on a certain prestige in the eyes of the Romans. And Jerusalem will rise. And uh, those of you on the tour, I think we did go by the Medba map. In the old city, there's a, a copy. It's not the original, but a copy of a of a fraction of a portion of the Medb map that was discovered much later in the 500s. Um, that renders Jerusalem almost exclusively a Christian city, full of churches and, and, and Roman and Byzantine roads and grid a grid structure, and uh, that that was uh, much of which was brought about by Helena. That was in 324. The next year, 325. Uh, A very significant event takes place, what's called the Nicaea Council, takes place, and it, it effectively sets the first uniform doctrines of Christianity. First formal laws. Something that they couldn't do up until now as a persecuted sect, they didn't have the luxury, the authority to be able to formulate certain, certain basic principles. Now they're doing that. What, what is uh, it They, it's called the, the Ni- Nikaya Council. It takes place in 325 and there's a lot we can say about it and I'm being selective. This is what I'd like to comment about it. They establish for the first time, the divinity of Yashka. Again, up until this point, Yashka was seen as a human being. Now, whatever this means, he was divine. He had godly properties. But they have not yet said that he's a deity. They didn't pray to him, but somehow it gets a couple notches better than that. He had divine properties. One finds this later. Pay attention to what they do to Yoshka and see if you track any uh, parallel uh, parallel uh, qualities that, that happen to later false messiahs like Shabtai Tzvi, abu issa we're going to meet in persia is a false messiah uh to a large degree a lot of this uh has eerie parallels in the lubavitcher Rebbe. the one finds there's a huge christian influence in the in the deification of some members of chabad uh did to chabad but we'll have to talk about chabad in the Madnera. the um <coughs> they discuss the trinity It's not formally accepted as a major tenet of their belief until what they call the Constantinople Council of 360. It's the Nikkei Council where they set Easter as independent of Pesach. Easter is obviously the Christian version of Pesach, but now they, they formally break away from the Jewish calendar. They don't make it linked per se with Nisan. They come up with their own calendar, their own Christian month of Nisan, uh, and make their own Easter holiday. They make essential laws against certain practices. So it's formally for, prohibited by the church for a man to castrate himself. It, there's, a, there's a prohibition against usury, which in, we call ribis, charging interest. Uh, there are other clerical rules, but you have to. what, what, do, you, what do you do with these things? They're, these are general notions, and you have to abide by them. They're not mitzvahs per se. Remember that in Catholicism, and there's no Catholicism yet, that's an anachronism. In Christianity, the early church fathers would have it. There aren't formal mitzvahs. Remember, Paul and Peter had done away with those. But there are basic tenets and principles um, that they live by. They abolish the Jewish Sabbath. It's it's, It's questionable exactly at which point they have a Sabbath that they have on what we would call Sunday in Yom Rishon. It's around this time in history that Chazal come up with several uh, points of our own. The Gemara Shabbos tells us, Sifre Minim, the books of heretics, and sometimes heretics actually means Christians. Min, remember we said this, Min is, is Rosh tables for Ma'mine Yeshu ha-notzri, the believers in Jesus of, of Nazareth. And the Gemara goes on and says, Sorfinosam, we burn them. Hem uh, Karos Shebahem and even any even if they mention Hashem's name in them, meaning uh, it's a mitzvah. Moshe has a chuvah on the subject, people were, were were concerned, they didn't know if they could take uh what they call an old testament, written though in Hebrew with Shem Hashem. What is the status? What do you do? But it's got Hashem's name written in it. But Moshe said, Well, of course, like the Gemara says, you burn it. And even though it feels like it's Antithetical. how could I come and burn something that has Kedusha, that has the Kedush Baruch name, why is it any different than a regular uh, Chomish or Sefer Taira? And the answer is because it was written by heretics, it was written by, in this case, Christians, um, so it's not holy. And Rav says, not only should you burn it, I've burned it. He points out that he doesn't do this in public to make a spectacle, yet to be careful to um, avoid Ava, to avoid uh, causing their Enmity and their their hatred of the Jews, but the halacha is like this, and it's around this time, and maybe in context we understand what Chazal was up at. We're up, we're up against the. Um, <coughs> there are also among the, from the Jews. There are several changes in daily davening uh, that try to guard against the xeros. We're going to see a lot of different decrees made by the Christian world against the, against Jewish practice. Uh, so it's at this point we find that they have what's called Kedusha de Sidra. Uh, Kedusha de Sidra that we say Uvalatzion, where we, where we put Kedusha in there when they could no longer say it during the proper place in Shmonas so they, they hid it in the Kedusha de Sidra. Um, they hid saying Kriishma before Kurbanos. If you notice in the morning, many people have a practice of saying Kshma then. Uh, notice also in that first Shma, you ever do this before Kurbanos? So we we um, there's an emphasis there on, uh, on Jewish distinctiveness, which is arguably necessary in these days. We say there there's a beautiful tefillah. Ashrenu matov chalkenu uman naim goralenu," These words these words sound familiar. Happy are we. Uh, Ashreinu matov Khalkenu, how, how 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 good is our portion? Uma naim and how pleasant is our fate? Uh, and then we say Shema Yisrael. Why? Jews have to realize we have a lot to be proud, proud of, and the fact that we are the distinct Yisrael, that's something that's central to our existence because what Christians, we, we mentioned this before, Christians now is the new religion of the large empire in the world. They've defined Israel now in their own image. And they claim that they're the new Israel. The Jews, no, no, we're the throwback, we're God's despised people but it's the Christian nation. They read every place that says Israel in the Tanakh. We know it's a nod, nod, wink, wink from Yashka as far as they're concerned. That means us and not the ancient Jews who were so stubborn to continue to reject the Lord Savior who gave, came and redeemed humanity. So in response to that, we say, matov no, 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 our portion is very good, as good as it's ever been, much, and, and much better than their portion. Um, so that's a little bit about the Christian world that's starting to rise up. Uh, it hasn't yet done its 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 worst. And that's coming in the in the coming centuries, but uh, meanwhile, back in Bavel, uh, we we met briefly Rav Chizda, who replaced Rav Huna in the great yeshiva in Sura. Uh, and now the next generation is rising up. You have Rabba Bar Nachmani in Pumbedisa, and you have Rav Yosef as well. They are now the Chizda very briefly. He's like a transition gadol, uh, but this is now the the beginning of the third generation of Amoraim in Bavel. Uh, Rav Chizda, fascinating figure, very very uh, dominant figure in the entire uh, um, Chas. Not in my notes offhand. Rav Chizda ate rice at his Pesach table. He had that was one of his two cooked foods. I rice, right? Yemenites. Yeah, now, the Yemenites starting, eat rice at the table. So if indeed the word for rice is still what we identify as rice today, then it, rice. Certainly, it certainly seems to be an indication that that's or okay. On, on, on Pesach, the later minhag of um, kitniyos, that Ashkenazim avoiding kitniyos, including things like rice, will come independent of this uh, and not be a contradiction. I mean, the, the, a person's allowed to be more stringent. Uh, Rav Chizda was asked how he succeeded in learning and in the Gemara Kedushin, he tells us he succeeded because he married when he was 16, because that way it helped him overcome his Yitzhahara. Uh, he said it, he would have been even greater if he would have married at 14, because I mean, then he would have definitely tamed I I his Yitzhahara. Found, I think I just found another reason why you might get married so early. There you go. The Rav uh, teaches us uh, in, a, in a Gemara that I often quote in Shabbos, anybody who uses... Uh, foul language. They deepen a special place for him in Gehenna. Uh And not only is the person who uses the salty language going to be condemned there to a low place in Gehenna, but anybody who's around hears the bad language and doesn't protest is also going down. So I just I always try to point that out if you're in the dorms and you don't register some kind of formal complaint against the people who are using the, the, the cursing and the bad language. So on some level, you're, you're gonna share their, their, uh, their, their iniquity. Uh, Rav Chiza teaches us that Kohen uh, Gadol shouldn't wear gold doing his service in the base of Mikdash, why not? is like in Hashem's base. Right, right. The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, Ein katigor nas sanigor, famous expression, we don't want to let a prosecutor uh, become our defender, right? The Cohen is defending the Jews by doing this avoda, but the gold reminds the Kadosh Baruch who, as it were, of the Egel of the golden calf. We don't want that to come uh, testifying against us, so he doesn't wear gold. Um, he had Talmid he had sons with Talmud and Chachamim, and as were his sons-in-law, Rabbi Baruchama, Rabbi Baruchama, I've mentioned among others, he comes up a lot. Uh, he was uh, the one who tells us, tells us that gambling is an esmachta, the sachik hoop is an esmachta, and, um, and his other son, one of his other sons-in-law is Rava, who we're gonna see is, is the head of the fourth generation of Amorim and Bava. So Rav Chiza dies at 92, and in Pumbedisa, Rava Bar Nachmani becomes the gagal. Rava spelled to distinguish uh, Let us get, get this down. Rabba is Rish base hey. Rava is Rish base al- aleph. And in Yeshivish, the, they distinguish in the pronunciation the first, Rabba is with a base. Rabba versus Rava. Rava with a base. And that way you can try, even though the names are obviously very uh, confusing and similar, uh, you try to make a distinction between the two. So Rabba, the teacher, becomes the Gadal Hador. Kavrusa Rav Yosef defers to him in his humility. Um, at this point, increasingly the wise men of Eretz Yisrael are moving to Bavel. Eretz Yisrael is in steep decline, and Pumbedisa increasingly grows and becomes the center of Torah life. Uh, Rabbah is called; he's referred to as the Oker Harim. He uproots mountains because he clarifies. He is, he's in a, he is a very he's sharp. He's got Harifus. His pupil, his ability for analysis is very, he sets a standard in the Torah. He actually is very sharp. Uh, he's called Oker Harim Rav Yosef. His friend is called Sinai. He remembers everything as if he was back at Har Sinai. Um, Rabbi is so sharp, he was born in the month we learned at the end of the Shabbos, in the hot summer months uh, that correspond to the planet Mars. And uh, his student Abaya, is teaching there and points out that people who were born during anybody here born during, a, let's say, the uh, Tamuz Av period in the middle of the summer, yeah, uh, how's your temper?
1: Yeah, I heard. Oh name yeah, name.
0: you have this one. I so I the, the, the 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 Gemara says Ashid Dama. He has a bloodlust. Right. That's what I'm quoting right now. And if the story is about Rabba himself so um so he, R- rabba hears all this and and Abayah says you know such a person is going to be and rabba says hey wait i i was born then and abaya has one of the great comic lines in all of shots i don't think it's meant to be comic but i sometimes see see humor here uh he says um you were yeah and you as a russia shiva are anish the you punish and you're deadly in your punishments you know so there are ways of and that's part of the point of the Gemara, that there are ways, if you're born with certain in, in, innate qualities, you have to use them for Torah. So Rabbi used this ferocity in order to instill uh, you know, fear the students and discipline them. Uh, but lest you get a picture of a, of a tyrant, who is was not a tyrant, Rabbi, this, there's so many famous bits about them, Rabbi would start his sheer with what's called mile de bidichusa, words of humor. That's a very famous bit that people quote a lot, because um, there is room, and, and, and when used appropriately, there's a time and place for humor. Uh, been, what's the point? Of course, you warm people up, you get people uh, amenable to hearing what you have to say, and then when you, when you get to the more substantive talk- topics, they're more receptive to you. It's under Rabba, this third generation of Amoraim that Pumbadisa reaches the peak, there are the high, largest number ever at the Yarchikala, 12,000 gather for these, these rabbinic conventions twice a year. Um, he and his nephew, Abayah, both descend from Beis Eli. Oh, I just Do, you this, this? Yeah, just Do you remember this? Do you remember we it. talked about this? Uh, it just came up in Yomamah. Okay, okay, so they both come from Beis Eli, and if you remember, this is already a few months ago we talked about this, Beis Eli had a terrible curse all everybody born, oh, they yeah. they're going to die young, die in their prime, which is around the age of forty. Uh, Rabbi, who you quote this? Where is this from? Yeah, because I mean, I just started about most, but it probably it's probably. It comes out two places. This is from this is from the the Gemara and Sanhedrin that I have. It's Sari Sari base. but it's not. It yeah, you, yeah, you find you find it elsewhere. So we'll see. Uh, Rabba, indeed, is going to die around that age. Uh, Abaye is going to prove the exception to the rule. And we'll see how he does this. Now, Rabba is uh, very interesting. So, his student is Rava. One of his students is Rava. Okay? Rava teaches a major principle about fate and this idea of which an astrological sign, all from this Gemara at the end of Shabbos. It's also discussed discussion in Mojikatan. So, Rapha teaches us that um, there are certain things, even though we paskin, the Jews are not limited to their preset astrology, the constellations in which they're born. The Jews can do anything, and you're born in a certain lowly status, but you could rise up and become God on the Hador, is our belief. Still, Rapha teaches a principle in Moed Khotan, Chayi Boni Umizoni. Lo milsa There are three things that don't de- don't depend on a person's individual merits, but rather depend on um, your mazl, which means somehow your star, your constellations, how they're aligned. There are certain things that are said. What is chayi boni mizoni? Chayi seems to be your health, your life, how you endure. Boni is your children, what they come out, if they're righteous or not. Mizoni. Whether you have sustenance in this world, you can be rich or poor, all these things are uh, are not dependent on a person's merits. And he he brings as an illustration Rav Chizda and Raba, two pre, two recent Gedolei Hador that we just talked about, Rav Chizda and Raba. He said, "Listen, with Rav Chizda and Raba, you have both examples of great tzaddikim. But if you compare their lives, you know they were you know who's to say it was a greater tzaddik? Rav Chizda, Raba, Raba, They're immense, both of them. He said, but consider their lives." Rafchizah, hold on for a second, I lived until he was 92. Rabbah lived till he was forty. Right? What did one do to merit? The other one didn't do to merit. That doesn't make, you know, you can't necessarily understand these things. He said in Rafchizah's house, they had sixty weddings, all celebrations. In Rabbah's house, sixty heartaches. And again, how do you compare the merits? They both merited. In Rafchizda's house, notice in Chazal, there's a lot of discussion on fates on suffering, very deep ideas. And, and, and continuing a theme that we've talked about, a lot of this is beyond us. This is all a Kadish Baruch, who's a uh, cheshbon. He has it worked out in ways that we don't always perceive. In Rav Chisa's house, they used, to, they used to serve fine fish, sole, which was a delicacy, uh, to dogs. And even then they had leftovers. Um, in Rabba's house, they had, to, they had to make do on barley bread, and even then there was never enough of it. Oh, There's a note on there that they said barley is what they feed the donkeys. So it's That's what they do. And yeah. we, we saw this uh, before, if you remember, Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi ben Zakai traveling in the ruins of Yerushalayim saw the daughter of of, of, Kalbasu, not Kalbasu, of, of, uh, uh, of Ben-Gurion, who uh, She, pick up she uh, picked up the, the barley from the dung pellets of the, of the animals, the donkeys of the Arabs, to sustain herself. So clearly, barley is not the most attractive of foods. Uh, Tosvos talks about this and concludes it's true. Ain Mazali Israel. But Tosvos explained a person could potentially change his fortune in this world through a huge merit. If you're a big tzaddik, yadavin, very stark, some other kind of a merit, you could even change things like chayibani and mazoni. At one point we find Rabbah and Rav Yosef, the Gdoli Hador, fleeing for their lives from persecution. And there's Roman persecution in the, in the west, there's the Sassanids, the Khabarim in the east, and they're fleeing for their lives. And at the same time, we find the and Baba Matiya tells us the de Dishmaya, which means the heavenly-based medrash, sends for Rabbah. Why do they send for Rabbah? They had a problem. See Raba was this great man in Tyre. In, in one area specifically, he, he excelled. He was yochid ben for He was a master in, in areas of tzaras, different kinds of nagaim, different kinds of bodily afflictions connected with uh, tzaras and ohalos, tumantara having to do with enclosures, enclosed spaces, very particular areas of halacha. And what was the problem? See Hakadosh Baruch Hu was in Machlokis, with the rest of the Masifsa, the heavenly base medrash, over on a certain deen. And they couldn't resolve the machlokas, so they said, Rabba's our man, he's the expert in the subject, let's turn to him. And how are we supposed to understand the idea that a Kanesh Baruchu is in machlokas with any being, and that he needs the assistance of a human being like Rabba to clarify and to pasch in the halacha? Uh, we've, it's not the first time we've seen such an idea. What was, it was the same concept we saw that Eliyahu, when he met Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai in the street, and, and he said, Hashem desires to hear your fidushim. It's not to be taken literally. It's as it were, Kaddish Baruch who's showing his own quality of humility to show the deference to the great Torah scholars and how immense, uh, once you've built yourself up in Taira, even as it were, Akadosh Baruch turns to you to resolve issues. Not that that's meant to be taken literally. So, um, so they, they, they want Rabbah. They want him back. And they want to take him from this world. So they send the Malachamavas, the angel of death. And there's a whole series, a whole episode that goes on there where is in hiding from the Romans. In the end, Rabbah keeps learning Torah. That's what he does. And the Malachamavas can't touch him. Just like David and the In a parallel, Gemara told about David where he's learning so stark that the, Mal- the Malach can't touch him. So in this case, the Malachan goes and makes a noise um, and it sounds like the king's troops are coming and Rab is scared and distracted from his learning. And it's, uh, he davins, please don't deliver me to the king's troops. And during this fateful break from his learning, the Malachan takes him. And as his Neshama departs, a declares, comes down and declares, "Asherecha, Bar Nachmani, nishmascha betahor." Happy are you, Rabbi, Rabbi Bar Your body is is pure, and your soul departs your body on the word tahor. Why? Because just there in that sugya, Rabbi had pasked Hashem's Shilah as being tahor; it wasn't tameh. And so he said, ah, oh, I think it seems to me that the, the answer is this is tahor. That was the last word out of his mouth, and it would be nice in our lives if our last words could be something of that kind of, you know, I don't know about you, but I personally would like to be that the last words of my mouth is possibly is Shiloh from the heavenly base, base mentors. I don't know. One of my dreams, you know. Uh, maybe one day. Sure, uh, i like the last words of my mouth to be in Gehenna. I don't know. Tahor sounds much more optimistic.
1: Yeah, uh, Gehenna sounds better. So, Rav Yosef
0: is, is, was, the, was his colleague, was another Gadol. We hear a lot about Rav Yosef in the Gemara. As I said, he's called Sinai. Uh, for him, the Mishnayos and the Vraisos are, are just like they've been given in our Sinai. Um, until Rav died, he's the second. And then he's made, as they call him Melech, the king in Pumidisa, but it only lasts for two and a half years till his own death. Um, Rav Yosef is one of the famous blind men in the Talmud. Uh, he was, therefore, a punter from certain mitzvahs. And he, he has a famous statement. Um, we know in the sugya in Babakama, we learn, Gadol ha-mitzuvah-va-osah, mish'ein va um, who's, who's on a higher level? Somebody who does a mitzvah because he's commanded you to do the mitzvah? Or somebody who, has, who does the mitzvah who's not commanded and does it anyway? Like, let's say, one of the Sheba mitzvahs. Aseshes uh, mangrama, the time-bound mitzvahs that women are anavknani is not obligated in, but they're allowed to do. A woman who waves the lulav. So who's on a higher level? A man who waves the lulav and he's obligated, or a woman who waves the lulav and she's not obligated and she does it anyway. There's a difference, though. The woman's that's opposed to it all. No, not true. No, in that no, case, no, in that no. case, it's fine. There are other things that you're right. There are other things like today, the post schemes say that women shouldn't wear tefillin, even though it's a mis they she should not do that, but that's a separate discussion. In the case of the Lulav, it's considered a Rishus and she gets credit for it. Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a good thing. So who's on a higher level? The one who's uh, mandated to do it, who's forced to do it? Because anyone you're can right. do uh, extra credit. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So you you know you know the suggia, and but but intuitively, you know, I would have thought the opposite. Yeah. Doesn't it feel? And come on, think about it this way. You ever have, you, you got homework assignments. What did you want to do? Did you want to do the homework assignment, or did you want to do the extra credit? Human nature. We want to do the extra credit. It feels like you're doing so much more. It's so much more in, in, engaging to do the extra credit. But that's why Kaddish says. I appreciate it when you recognize that it's a commandment from Hashem, and you're doing it as a commandment, knowing you're subservient to the ruler of the universe, that person ultimately is on a higher level than the one who didn't have to do it and does it anyway. So comes Rav Yosef and teaches that he would make a yuntif for the rabbis if they told him the is not like Rav Yehuda, because he didn't like this halacha. Because blind man, he was exempt from several mitzvahs, but he loved the and wanted to do the mitzvahs on the highest level, and he would be happy if he was on a higher level, but in the end, they couldn't tell him that. He, he wasn't able to do the mitzvahs always in the, in the optimal way. Um, it's Rav Yosef who teaches that it's not the rat that steals, but the hole, uh, which is in principle, because you, can't, you the concept is obvious that if you had no hole to scurry the, you'd say the rat chees- uh, steals some cheese, but if there's no hole to, to take the cheese and hide it, in that hole, so then you can't steal. So it's a famous principle that's used in a lot of different areas. The Chofetz Chaim quotes it when he teaches in Shmir Salashon that uh, the, uh, the, the listener, the person who hears Lashon Hara on some level is worse than the Malshin, than the person speaking because if the Malshin had no receptive audience, he would never say Lashon Hara. The fact that you lend an ear, that you make it so easy to, for him to, to do the Avera means you're an accomplice. And again, it's not the rat that steals, it's the whole. Rav Yosef tells us that a mitzvah, while you're performing it, protects us. It's a major principle. Uh, it protects us from suffering. Uh, it saves us from the Yitzhahara. Um When you're not performing the mitzvah, it protects us, but it doesn't save us. Meaning you get a residual kind of protection but if something bad would happen just because you did it's for them. doesn't mean that right now you're going to be saved. But he says, in contrast with that, learning Torah is even greater. Torah, while you're performing it, and even after, while you're learning it, and even after you've learned it, protects you from all, in all these areas from the Yetzir and all the rest, and it saves you, uh, so learn a lot of Torah, Rav, Rav Yosef tells us. Um, The chain of Masurah now passes to Pogadisa. Even so, Bavel is still dependent. Even though Eretz Yisrael is sinking, we still need vary. Why? What takes place in the Sanhedrin and Tveria Still in these in these this mid time in the, the mid mid section of the Amoraic Gemara period. Uh, what do we need in Teveria still? Rosh Chodesh, uh, Rosh Chodesh is still set for sure. We need um, we need the Ibu Roshanim, the leap years. Um, the Nasi is Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya the second, the grandson of the first and the great great grandson of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. He, he 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 functions. They don't really use the title Nasi. It's called Nasiya. Uh, he learns under uh, Rav Yirmia, one of the later um, Amoraim in, in Teveria. Uh, and they're functional still. Uh, that's about to, that's, we'll see that's about to change. Um, it, we're about to meet two central figures in all of Jewish history. Their names are Abaya and Rava. They are the heads of what's considered the fourth generation of Amoraim in Bavell, Um And uh, they, they, they do deserve their own uh, little you know, focus now. Abaya, we know, we've seen a little bit, is Rava's nephew. He was orphaned. He was an only child. He had the similar fate of Esther and of Yochanan. He descends from Eli, we said, but we'll see how he gets around that. And he's raised by Rabbah, by his uncle, who not only raises him, but teaches him. He also has a great Chavrusa, who's his own age. Rabbah and Abaya go together. So in a sense, you know, today we're focusing on Rabbah. So we have Rabbah and then his great students, Abayah and, Abaya and Rabbah. And uh, they learn from a young age in Khabrusa, They are the same age. Um, but Rav is not their only teacher. And you could look on your charts. Rav and Abaya also were Zolchik to learn by Rav Yehuda, who died about a generation before, but they, they were young. But they knew Rav Yehuda. They also learned by Rav Yosef. <coughs> in fact, in, in the case of Abaya, <coughs> um, Abayah becomes what's called a Talmud Chaver with Rav Yosef. Palmi Klaver is somebody who starts life as your student, but arises in greatness and prestige, and effectively becomes your colleague, your peer. In Torah, that can happen. And I, I guess in the, the, the world out there, once you had a professor, you're always his underling. But in Taira, you can arise, and a, and, a, and a student can become just as great, if not sometimes greater than the Rebbe. Such a thing happens, I mean, the Vilna Gaon went through rebis like you know, like most people go through potato chips. You know, he just he you know he just they, they he exhausted them from their knowledge and he was ready. Okay, next, you know, bring bring in the next teacher, mom. You couldn't stop at one. Yeah, right. You couldn't, you, you couldn't. Yeah, but that, that's that's yeah, the slogan to the so yeah, Okay, yeah. there you go. Right. He, he, so that that's within within our system is there's, there's absolutely that, that possibility. Um, I mean, I, I, I take personal, I get a lot of nachas when I see people who are my students. What does that mean? I, I know so much Torah that, you know, I, they're always subservient to me. No, I, I run into them now. I mean, I've been, I've been teaching in these kinds of institutions for over 20 years, and I see some, some people who are immense, Talmud who just stayed in learning, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to, I'm sure I would stand with if they walked in the room there, they've amounted to, to, to tremendous things in Torah. So we became a Talmud Chachamim, of Rav Yosef, and when Rav Yosef dies, Abaya is the next head of Gadal Hador for 13 years. It's significant, by the way. When I keep saying who's the Gadal Hador, they're not communists. Who's got the final say? Who's the, who's the authority? Even though it doesn't mean that we pass like one person across the board anyway, but, uh, but the, it's significant. Abayah is the head of the fourth generation of uh, Amoraim for 13 years. He and Rava are part of the Mesorah. Uh <coughs> He's the Resh Hashisifsa, the Rosh Hashiva. In other words, in Pumbedisa. Now, Rava's everybody is every bit qualified, but he he defers to Abayah. Um, Rava, meanwhile, becomes the Rosh Hashisifsa in Machozah. Machozah is another great city in Bavel. Um, during the Kala, everybody comes to Pumbadisa, so then Rava defers to Abayya, and Abaya becomes the figurehead at the at the uh, Yarchi Kala. Uh, at this point, under Rabaya and Rava, it's Yarchi Kala starts to shrink. It's not as great as it was in previous generations. Uh, and the shrinking of the generation becomes an increasing source of concern for the gedolim. In the Hamarni Ruvi Abayas says, my generation's ability to understand, he describes it like this, it's like sticking a peg in a narrow hole in the wall, a little goes in, and with great difficulty. Which is kind of... Um, humbling when you consider Abaya and his generation and then you think about our generations but they didn't get and we we talked about this recently if anybody remembers this that we 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 mentioned that you know as we get further away from Har sinai with the persecution and, and other problems plaguing a Yisrael, our understanding of torah our ability to get things quickly and deeply is 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 showing and that's why the urgency of this project of the gemara is 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 increasingly felt Let's get this down now while we can, while we can understand, while we can elucidate, clarify for all future generations to preserve the Torah. And they become essential uh, players in this, in this process. They deepen peel pool to clarify Halakha, to organize the Gemara. They now, Abay and Rabbah start a new phase. They start bringing in um, all Brysos, and their, their project is to incorporate the wisdom of all Brysos that had previously not been included. Uh, from this point, the Masora is clearly decisively in Bavel. Eretz Hashem is not playing a central role anymore at all. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says, quotes the the Pasuk Hoshivani. In my dark places you brought me, dark places like exile, like Bavil, that's, wh- that's where we are. And, and the Gemara there tells us, this is the Bavli Gemara, which is a work in progress, uh, and explain, and, and the Gemara says with the havaios of Abaya and Rava. That's an expression you want to internalize. The Havaios of Rava and Abaya, which literally means the um, back and forth. The Kashes and the Terutsim, the questions, the answers of Abaya and Rava. These become a central linchpin, central organizing feature of the entire Gemara. Uh, the Gemara Baba tells us they comprise much of the Gemara itself. When we as students of our central texts in all of Judaism in the Gemara, we're osik in the Havayos of Abayan and Rava. Um, in the yeshivas in Europe, they would often say, you know, what did you do with your day? Well, I, I busied my time being osik in the Havaios of Abayan Rava. That was a way of expressing that you're deeply engrossed in the central uh, job of learning Torah. Uh, that's synonymous with learning. Um, Others are involved, but we have over 1,200 examples of Havaios, of halachic discussions that fill the Gemara. Uh, often they're at odds. We have a lot of arguments between Abay and Rava. Um, we saw similarly by Rav and Shmuel, but sometimes, they're not at odds. We have, just like Rav and Shmuel would teach together, we have many examples where they, off, they, they co-author Halacha, the Amar Travayu. both of them taught, and I think we just have one in Makos, the Amar Travayu, both of them uh, teach as follows. By the time, uh, Abaya dies first and then Rava later, Rav Victor Miller points out, when, by the time Rava passes away, this, what he calls the Stamad Gemara had been completed meaning the next generations will certainly elaborate on the gemara but the essential building block of the gemara is information with the teachings of abaya and rava uh the final form is um more it didn't they didn't arrange it they just sealed its final form in later generations um, a little bit about abaya and what he teaches us um, he says what do you do with a community that that um doesn't take criticism People don't. They they resist tochacha rebuke. So he says for such community, he teaches a really huge principle. He says for such people, depending on the issue, mutab shiushogegin vaalumizivi. Has anybody heard that expression before? Better that they should be better. Don't tell them. If you got you got a halacha that they're going to violate anyway, you have to use your recession. And it's not true for all instances. One example of this is let's say um, women. Who might take in Yantif late? And if you tell them you have to be ready on time and you can't take it, you can't take it in late. If you do, you're violating Yantif, They still may be late, but now if you tell them they're going to be late and in greater trouble because before when they were late they did it without knowledge. They were shoggin. They were uh, negligent, but in their ignorance. Um, not forgiven, but off the hook. They were not. They were not intentionally violating. But if you inform them and they violate anyway, then they'll be in the and it's much more serious. So Abaya teaches Mutav better that they should do an avera bishogeg than they should do the Aveira in the Uh I I had this experience my first year in Derech teaching in Derech, where I, I thought people were aware of the basic laws of, of modesty, and I thought that they knew that um, negiah was an Raisa. I thought that was common knowledge. And I, in conversation, somebody asked me in one of my classes about it. And I said, oh yeah, that's an Isidir Isa. And one of the guys, very uh, it, it, like, spontaneously, without even thinking, he, he put, in, I, I told you this, he, he um, quickly covered his ears with his hands. And he said, I don't think I can hear this, Rabbi. And what was that action about? Because he knew this principle. He knew, you know, before the rabbi told me I did all this stuff, but I did it to because I didn't really know the halacha. Now, you know, now it's worse for me because I'm going to continue doing this, these things, but, you know, I'm guilty as charged. Uh, anyway, he's become a big, big Chacham, that, that, that guy I just saw the other day, and he's learning Stark in a great yeshiva. Um, and he doesn't touch girls anymore, that's for sure. He was, and now he left, and he's, 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 uh, you know, in, he's on to bigger and better, as happens, Baruch Hashem. Um, Abaya teaches in Baba Metziah, a person shouldn't speak echad bepev, echad belev, don't be two-faced. Don't say one thing, but think another. A person should be honest and upfront, what you see is what you get. Uh, Abaya teaches us in the Gemara Harayas to say simna milsa, uh, we put a simon, we put signs symbolically on Rosh Hashanah, and everything that we eat becomes symbolic of the year, Abayah teaches. We have karti and silka and rubia and all these this, this minhad that we have of having all these various fruits and vegetables at, uh, at, uh, during the meal on Rosh Hashanah comes from the teaching of Abayah. Um, Abayah teaches us the Sanhedrin from the Pasuk, Ashrei Kol chokhelo, happier those, anybody who, who waits for the uh, Mashiach, Pasuk in, in Yeshaya and also in Habakkuk that there are no fewer than 36 tzedikim, who in every generation received the face of the Shekhinah. And he points out these people are not just the Gedolim, not just the Chachamim, but they number even among the Pshuteam. Even simple people could be a Tzaddik. On some level, it means you have to have some Torah. But sometimes people you don't expect to be Tzaddikim, sometimes are A uh, Abaye learns in the Gemara Menachos how to tie, excuse me, how to dye the color Tchelis. pay attention, from a Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda, and it's the last evidence in history that we will have of Tchelis. It's the last time we have any mention of that all the way until the 19th century, in which one of the Hasidic Rebbe's, the Redzina Rebbe, felt he rediscovered Tchelis. Uh, his Tchelis would be rejected by the Beis Alevi. Um, but others would come again. But this is, pay attention, it's the last time in history, sometime in the fourth century, under a bayah that we have a, a record of somebody who had the tradition of the correct color blue of Tchelis. Why, why was it lost and why was it rejected later on by the um, It's another sheer, Um it was lost, we don't know why it was lost. It's the last evidence that we have any mention anywhere of Tchelis. that's all we know. If we knew why it was lost, maybe we could rediscover it based on based on the knowledge. So that's part of the mystery. Um, why the Ritziner's Tcheles is not Tcheles is a great and I refer you to the base of Levi, it's easily accessed, um, but he, it, it, his refutation was it simply didn't meet the criteria. Uh, as many would say, the current Tcheles, it's very popular, also doesn't meet the right criteria. He said it was the cuttlefish. What's that? He said it was, it was the a cuttlefish, fish. and that was, that's, that was uh, easily refuted. Abaya warns... This is a, one of those Gemaras that had a big impact on me. Abaya warns in the Gemara in Yuma against Chil Hashem. You have to leave your life uh, doing Kiddush Hashem and avoid desecrating Hashem's name. He, he, he describes two prototypes of people, uh, both scholars in Torah, but they're different. He says, for a person for whom Shem Shemaim is beloved, saying Hashem's name is, a, is something that he loves doing, he learns and he serves Chachamim, the wise men. His interaction with other people, with ordinary people, is, Aba'i describes it, he, he does so with Emuna, with faith. He talks to people always gently and respectfully about such a person. People say, how pleasant are his ways, how fortunate are the ones who gave birth to him, who taught him Torah. Whereas, another personality type is somebody who learns, and serves the chachamim. Okay, check, check. So far, so good. But what? These are people who don't interact with people nicely. They're not gentle. They're not. They're not uh, kind. And people say about them, um, people say, "Kama maasav." How degenerate are their ways? I w- di- How 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 lowly? How disgusting are their ways? That sounds very harsh. So a bias pointing to a very important reality that there are people who learn Torah and their Torah is not properly internalized and it doesn't manifest in their own personal examples as righteousness. And it's important to acknowledge that. It's not inevitable that just because you learn Torah, you will be at tzaddik. That's why in describing a Talmud Chocham, we have to say that a Talmud Chocham, in order to call the person that name, has to be righteous. They're not righteous. If their they are not worked out, they may know, let's say, even an encyclopedic breadth and depth of Torah, but they're not a Talmid Chacham. They can't act with basic righteousness. Um, I remember struggling when I was at YU with what seemed to be very knowledgeable people who were around me. Not everybody. I mean, there were a couple people. I mean, most people were very fine and good, but there were a few examples of people who seemed to be such knowledgeable Torah personalities but whose medos seem to be lacking in such obvious ways. And I remember going into the Dean of Students then, who was Reb Zulon Chalap, the grandson of Reb Yaakov Moshe Chalap, who uh, was a big, big figure in, um, in the early 20th century uh, in of Israel. So related to cult No, no, they're not related. No, uh, But it was a name, it was a, it's an abbreviation, it's a Polish uh, nobility name. Anyway, uh, this Reb Chalap brought out this Gemara. And for me, it was very helpful hearing that there was a category. Was even of the Gemara, acknowledges the category. It's possible that there exists somebody who knows a lot of Torah and doesn't put it to effect. That exists out there. And just knowing that itself doesn't excuse it. But you realize, you know, there's a difference between Judaism, Torah, which sets the highest standard of human poss- possible for human behavior, and been the people. And we don't always measure up. In fact, often we, we come far short of measuring up. And okay, and I, I, it's very important too because a lot of people will rationalize. They'll say, well, look at those terrible religious Jews. Therefore, you see, Torah doesn't, you know, there's no guarantee, Torah doesn't really make you more ethical, so I'm off the hook too, and I'm not going to try too. For, the, for a lot of those people who make that argument, it's a rationalization, it's a self justification. They really just don't want to practice, they're lazy, they don't want to put it into effect, so they say they use the, the, the bad examples as to get themselves off the hook. But no. Abya says they're good people and bad people, and the bad people are doing chilul Hashem. They're desecrating Hashem's name. Abaya, how did he get around Eli's curse? The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells us he was an immense Gomal chosavim. We said through great schus, uh Rava teaches through great personal merits you can over, you can you can overcome your own uh, constellation, your own mazel, and Abaye does so, even the curse of Eli. Um, he lives till he's 60 years old, till about the year 340 of the Common Era. Um, the Gemara tradition gives some examples. Rava was a big tzaddik too, but how did Rava do it? Rava would send uh, an assistant, somebody else to go help the elderly. But Abaye did exactly the same thing, but he did it personally. He didn't trust the chesed to anybody. He made sure that he was the one doing it personally. Uh, we're going to find some great people throughout the history who did exactly this who didn't matter what their stature was, they always did the chesed themselves. Um, In another story, in the Gemara and Sukkah, he he saw a young woman walk off together, and he was concerned that they were up to no good, and so he followed them to save them from sin. But the entire way, they did nothing wrong, and when they got to a fork in the road, they parted from one another, and nothing happened. And Abayit goes home and puts his head on the, on the threshold in, in, in depression, in, in dejection, and he says, I, I didn't think that I would pass such a test. It was, he was acting out of Chesed, he did this to help them, but in the end they didn't need his help. And he thought, oh, I think if I were in that young man's position, I would have stumbled in sin. And it's from this, the Gemara there learns another major principle, that, Tal chochamim um, yosir Mikulam. Their Sahara is even bigger than the average man's. The greater the, Yitzh- the, the Talmud Chacham, the greater the Yetzirah. Um, a- another example of a Abayiz Chesib, when a Chacham finished a Masechta, he made a celebration, one of the earliest examples of a Sium. We're going to see in his own student, Papa uh, other examples of Siums. Uh, but he made, he made a special celebration trying to uh, glorify Torah. Um, I want to talk about Rava and then we'll uh, call it a day. Rava had learned also from the same Rebbe's Rabbi and Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef was his Rebbe. Mufak was his primary Rebbe. And this is how Rebbe, when Rav Yosef came, when, uh, when he learned from him, and then afterwards he departed from his Rebbe, his showing kavod for Torah was such he walked backwards to the door. And when he walked backwards to the door, he banged his head, um, he banged his head on the askufa, on the, on the threshold, on the mantle, to the point that it was covered in blood. He had such deference to his Rebbe how the Gemara describes it in an was exaggerated door. way. Door that small. I guess so. Yeah, it could be. The Gemara uh, Numa tells us that... Uh, uh, that, that was Gemara Yuma. excuse me. Uh, we find other examples of... Like when Rav Chaim of went to go visit his Rebbe, the v- Vildagon, his people noticed he would break into uncontrollable trembling out of reverence for his Rebbe. Um, Rava is so dominant in every Mesechte in Shas He's called Mara de Talmuda, the master of the Talmud. That's, his, that's, that's an observation that Tosfos make. Um, we paskin like halach. The Halacha follows Rava against Abaye, except for Ya'al Kigam. There's six famous examples. I'm not going to go into them right now for lack of time, but it's a famous, famous bit. Generally speaking, we again we paskin like Rava against Abaye, except in these six cases. Um, Abaya is the more prominent, but Hilchas we follow the latter one, Rava, because he lives later than Abaya and is the next God after Abaya dies, he has the last word, and we, Halacha follows the one with the last word, are you? Um, is Rava, by a chance, supposed mentioned mention Amorah? No, we said that Rabbi Yochan and Reish Lakish were far more frequently mentioned, so it's a different you know, uh, different distinction that he has. He's called Mara the because he's, he he's, it may not be as mentioned as frequently, but his learning is so, is, it, it fills the pages that he, he's a dominant force. Um, when Abaya dies, the Masifsa moves to Machoza under Rava for 14 years. Rava teaches us that a person should first learn even, this is great advice if you're struggling in your own learning. Even if it's not new, even if the learning doesn't sit well with you, you don't have it all down yet. Uh, keep learning, and only later learn learn in depth. He says, ask kashis to the point it becomes settled in you. Uh, he says this is the correct procedure of eun of gemara. It's impossible. What's that? If we I have a question in Torah, I get an answer, I have I Great, no, that's part of the process. It's not impossible. You'll eventually get some satisfaction if you keep with it. Um, Rava teaches, Agra Dishmaisa Svara. The truest reward of your toil is understanding, is the logic, is the reason you get from having toiled in Torah. Chazal, Torah itself, will straighten your mind. Rava teaches, Anus Rahmana Patri. Um, if a person, did a Neveira, but he had no choice. He was compelled. He was forced. Hashem forgives you. You're not culpable. It's not. It's not nevira. <laughs> a major principle in, in halacha. It, Rabbi teaches the Bar and Yasa yasa osam hadam v'chay behem. A man should do the mitzvahs and live by them, and then he teaches. That's the pasuk. Vilo shi'amush behem. But you can't. You can't die doing the mitzvahs. No, so know. and so and so. And so it's from this idea, Ravna teaches us that um, with the exception of the three major mitzvahs of that are yahar and Avor Yavor, a person has to, um, has to transgress and not die. Quick uh, question. Um, yeah, quick. So are, okay, like, um, out of those three, only two are uh, physical. The killing a Jew and, uh, and, your, and oh, the relations of what is our be is also physical. Yeah, but when you turn on vodazara, can't you like in the name of like you know saving your life you can do what in the future just do it but a mind that I don't I'm not doing this because I'm doing this just like you know, I don't want to get to this next, it's not our analysis now. I'm trying to give you a, a, a an overview of Rava, but um Avodazara is unique in so many levels, including you can't even think it. In other words, most of the time you can't Doing an Avera is something that's actual, but a Zahra is different, unique in this regard, that even thinking of Avodah Zahra is, 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 is a discussion in the post game and I'm not going to go there right now. Ask me, after, ask me afterwards, I don't want to slide into this tangent right now. The, um, a few more bits from Rava, and then we'll call it a day. Um, Rava teaches a principle that we mentioned several times this year in Makos, Adam Karov et a man is related to himself. A man can't indict himself, can't make himself into wicked. That's why you can't testify about yourself. Remember this discussion in the Gemara Makos. that came up? Um, once Ravah scraped mud from his shoe on Shabbos, and the rabbis yelled at him, Stop! You can't do that! It's Shabbos! So only if you're Ravah can you have this kind of, um, this collected kind of response, he says to them. By the way, don't run afoul of the Gedolim. You don't want to do that. Anyway, listen to Rav's sharp response. He says, it's not enough that you haven't learned what's Asr and what's Mutzr. You don't even know the Halacha boys. But you also teach others your mistaken learning. Ouch. Uh, yeah. He says, it's not a- in other words, it's not enough to know. You have to be confident in your knowledge. Don't teach people the wrong thing. Um, Remember the story? I just came. This just came up at lunch a, a, few, a couple hours ago by me that the um, the man who came home and yelled at his wife for serving nut cake on um, Rosh Hashanah, and don't you know that the gematria of egos is chet, is sin, and you can We don't. We don't eat. We don't eat um, you know. We don't. We don't have anything to do with sin on, on Yom And he screamed at his wife, and of course, what he forgets is the gematria of chet is chet. That the the, the gematria of sin is sin, and you idiot, you're gonna yell at your wife because she's serving. Eat the nut cake. Don't yell at your wife. Get your priorities straight. Um, Rav teaches us. Is that a thing though? Like an already nut cake? Yeah, but come on, get keep it in pr- priority and certainly Ooh, never yell can't. at your wife. No, no, we symbolize. We try as a way of reminding ourselves to be in our best behavior, yeah. but not to not to not to lose our you know, not to lose our sense of pr- uh, proportion. Baruch um, Adesh Baruch Hu sahara Kanesh Baruch created the Yitzhahara, and Rav teaches, Baralot Torah Tavlin, the antidote he also created, that's called Torah. Without Torah, you'd have no chance against your Yitzhahara. I mean, each of these, you realize each of these statements, could, we could spend the next few hours on. Uh, the Gemara and Sanhedrin tells us, Rav teaches us, "Rahmana, liba, boy. Hashem, at the end of, the end of, of everything, wants the heart. Do what you do, lead your life as you're going to lead it, and make sure you do it with utter sincerity. Do it from the heart. <laughs> these are words to live by. You should memorize each of these statements. Uh, Rava teaches us, <laughs> What's the reason for Ksuba? <laughs> Why did Chazal establish that a man has to write uh, this document? <laughs> he should not be a light thing in his eyes. The wife should not be light in her husband's eyes. That He should just say, beat it, lady. No, yes, if he divorces her, he has to pay her a significant sum of money, and that's going to give men pause. And that male nature is not to stay shackled in a marriage. And so, Chazal or in the Chesuba, Rav teaches, so that we would stay married and make it work and work hard on it. Shalote Ravah says in the Barn Uh I know if I only have one candle if i if it's my if the candle on shabbos and near Hanukkah near beso avi adif it's better to have the shabbos candle why because that's for the wife you know Hanukkah candles defer to that he teaches us okay i refuse to rush this one because this is just one of the greatest ever so i know i'm over time and i apologize and so we're almost finished with rava but we'll, we'll do the last few bits. Tomorrow, Bez Ras Hashem, and tomorrow we're going to finally seal uh, the calendar and say goodbye to the establishment of of, uh, the Sanhedrin in Tiberia.